0: Well, good morning. We want to welcome each and every one of you this morning at Paradise Valley Christian Church. And I'm excited about what God continues to do through this church body. I say that pretty much every week, but I, I don't know about you, but baptisms, they get me fired up. Because I believe that uh, as we disciple, as we continue to teach, as we continue to, to mentor and, and reach out, then inevitably people's lives will be changed through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that is our, our hope as we continue to go forth. We want to have an impact in this world. And so I'm excited for what God continues to do through each and every one of us. And being open to God's leading when it comes to that Thank you for all those who took the time to remove snow this past week, uh, took place multiple times, and uh, thank for those that uh, shoveled a lot and put a lot of time and effort into shoveling, clearing out the school so we could have school this week, as well as the parking lots, uh, it just makes a huge difference, yes, praise God, thank you very much. That kind of stuff goes unnoticed at times, but man, I, I wake up and I'm thinking well, who moved all that snow, you know? It wasn't me, so I'm praising God that other people are willing to do that. Next week, uh, Aaron Prose, a professor at Summit Christian College, will be here with us sharing a message, and uh, we just want to bless Summit Christian College, and so continue to pray about how God will uh, can use you financially uh, to bless them as we'll take up an offering next week. I'm also praising God for this past week. Uh, there's many people that were part of our congregation in the hospital with surgeries, sicknesses, um, different things that took place and I'm looking around the room and I see a couple of them that were in the hospital that are here this morning. Actually all three of the ones that I was thinking of, Dave Mondel, Ezekiel Miller, Wyatt over here, uh, all were at the hospital having surgeries or sick and praise God that they're all here this morning. And so we're we're joyful as we gather together knowing that God is continually at work in our lives. As we continue through a series called Here, There, I want to, again, draw your attention into 1 Peter, as we are in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And the title of the message today is, Always Be Ready. Always be ready, and, and sometimes we get a little antsy to be ready at times. In fact, there was a photographer for a national magazine who was assigned to get photos of a great forest fire. But the smoke at the scene hampered him, and he, he asked his home office to hire a plane Arrangements were made and he was told to go at once to a nearby airport where the plane would be waiting. And when he arrived at the airport, a plane was warming up near the runway and he jumped in with his equipment and yelled, let's go, let's go. And the pilot swung the plane into the wind and they were soon in the air. Fly over the north side of the fire, yelled the photographer, and make three or four low level passes. Well, why, asked the pilot, because I'm going to take pictures. I'm a photographer and photographers take pictures. After a pause, the pilot said, you mean you're not the instructor? (laughs) Fact is, sometimes we are so focused on having to accomplish our own agenda, our own task, that we forget to stop and make sure we're on the right plane. And at times, we Christians are more concerned with what we think is important that we completely lose sight of what God says is important. And last week, we discussed the idea of putting our faith on display. From verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3, Peter challenged us on how to put our faith on display and maybe how not to put it on display put our faith on display, and and why we need to have a faith that is on display. And this morning, as we continue in 1 Peter 3, 13, 13 through 17, the challenge is to always be ready. Well, always be ready for what? There's lots of things that we can be ready for. And as I read read here in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17, I believe that we can see three different areas that we need to be ready in. That we always need to be ready to do good. That we always need to be ready to be willing to suffer for doing good. And a need to always be ready to share the reason for the hope that we have. Let's pray. God, this morning, as we dive into your word, may your Holy Spirit convict and challenge and teach and mold and make us that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts and our minds this morning, that we would be continually changed, matured in our faith, and that your word would speak boldly into our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you'll follow along with me as we read from chapter 3 of 1 Peter, starting in verse 3, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. than for doing evil at a young age learning how to play basketball I was taught to always have your hands ready to to make a cut through the lane but have your hands up and ready because a lot of times what would take place is if I didn't have my hands ready and I was just cutting through to go make a screen or something that I would get hit in the face with a ball from a teammate that knew I was open but I wasn't ready to catch the ball In fact, it kind of goes something like these clips on the screen here. When we aren't ready, we find ourselves getting hit right in the face with whatever is thrown in our direction. As we look into 1 Peter 3, 13, right at the beginning, it says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And I believe that God wants us to be always ready to do good. Last Sunday after services, uh, my family and I went to the full house Chinese restaurant and as we were leaving there after we had eaten there was I was gathering all the kids up into the van and I saw some individuals but I didn't really notice what was going on as I was loading the kids up and I got in the van and I was waiting for everybody else to get loaded up and to come out and I look out and there's a gal an older lady that's on the ground one that's standing next to her and then another one that's on the phone and I'm like what's going on here and so I get out in my mind fully ready to do good if I can. And as I talked with them, they basically wanted to kind of just wait and sit there. She had fallen or had collapsed and they were waiting for an ambulance to show up. But I figured, well, Larry and I could get her up if we needed to. And I was ready to to, to do good. We were getting ready uh, to finish up winter whitewash and all the different financial aspects of it. And I was looking over uh, things as far as what we had paid to Snowy Range. And, and the receipt that I had didn't list any snowboard rentals. And it felt like we hadn't paid as much as I thought we should have, according to my calculations. And, and so in my mind, it was like, do I let it go or do I do Good. Am I always ready to do good? And, and the good that I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do was to call up and find out what's going on. Do we, do we owe you more money? And I asked that. I said, I feel like we haven't paid you enough, even though I kind of felt like I had paid them enough. Um, but I, I said, according to the receipt, there's no snowboard rentals listed on here. And they said, oh, no, those are the same price as skis, so we just combine those together. And as far as we can tell from our calculations, you're good to go. See, being ready to do good, maybe even when no one's looking, no one would have known that I thought that we still needed to pay some more. Maybe this past week, you were someone that was out helping a neighbor shovel some snow out of their driveway, ready to do good. My neighbors, they all have snowblowers. I don't. <laughs> so my neighbor, he does good and, and always snow blows my sidewalk up to a certain point, and I really appreciate that. You see, we as Christians always need to be ready to do good, and there's a reason behind it. There's a reason behind it, and in times there's going to be things that we're going to face that might even be suffering in those moments. I must be passionate to do good in spite of any suffering that I might face. In fact, John Wesley had this for his rule of life. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, In all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. And the question comes though, are we people that are willing to do good if it's convenient or only when we don't have something else better to do? Or when doing good will somehow benefit us in the long run? See, Ephesians 2.10, which is most likely a familiar verse, says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the question is, what Are the good works that you are supposed to be doing that God has prepared in advance for you to do, but maybe you just haven't gotten started yet? What about maybe starting a Bible study in your home for some relatives or some neighbors that might not be willing to step foot in a church building, but are willing to study Scripture with you in your home? What about being involved with something like doing foster care? Or maybe there's an opportunity for you to volunteer somehow at our Christian school. Maybe you need to get involved with one of the ministry teams here, a part of the church. Are your spiritual hands up and ready to catch those good works that God is going to pass your way? Or are you distracted with the non important things of life that? You get hit in the face because you aren't ready. The challenge is, always be ready to do good. Hebrews 10:24, the writer speaks to us and says, "And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, you see, we have a responsibility towards one another and towards the world that we live in to always be ready to do good, but always being ready to do good doesn't always mean that it's going to be easy. And we read that in these verses where it says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good, but even if you should suffer, for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. It is very unusual for most people to mistreat those who are zealous for good. The world doesn't have a problem a lot of times, you know, attacking the thief or the murderer, but the world is, is not so eager to fight against those who are doing good. And Peter is talking about you living a good life. A life that is marked by generosity, unselfishness, kindness, and thoughtfulness towards others. Peter says here that doing good will make persecution less likely. However, we know that the life that Jesus calls us to is in opposition to the world that we live in. Even when we do good, there will be times when we will still suffer. We need to always be ready to suffer for doing good. I specifically remember a time in my high school days where I felt like I went through some suffering, Uh, specifically around the holidays, the New Year's, where I would be at home, Pretty much all by myself on New Year's Eve because my church didn't offer a New Year's Eve party. My parents weren't real big into staying up late. My brother had actually moved to North Dakota. My sister was two years younger. And so I'm at home alone on New Year's Eve feeling left out. See, I didn't get invited to the parties that my school friends were having because they knew what I believed and they knew that my relationship with God didn't allow me to join in on their kind of partying. And at the time, I felt like I was suffering. I felt like I was doing what was right I felt like I was doing good and standing up for my faith, and yet I was home alone on New Year's Eve, my junior and my senior year, feeling left out. What about you? Have there been times when you reached out with the love of Christ to a coworker or a relative, and you were ridiculed in return? Maybe you are a single parent doing good in the lives of your children and all you get back from them is disrespect. Maybe you have a group of friends that for the most part accept you for who you are and include you, but when you stand up for your faith by doing what is right and good, you are shunned and left out. We are called to always be ready to suffer for doing good. And in the midst of whatever suffering you are facing for the good that you are doing, Peter reminds us in this verse that even if we do suffer, we are still blessed. Matthew 5:10 reminds us of this as well. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And another thing that we must remember is that the suffering we might be facing right now for living out our faith most likely pales in comparison to what these Christians were facing at the time this was written and what many Christians around the world are facing even today. Here's a quick video of some of the research that's been done just even within the last year by Open Doors organization on church persecution.
1: The Christian NGO Open Doors once again reports of increasing persecution of Christians worldwide. It certifies that some 245 million Christians worldwide suffered some form of persecution. In other words, one in nine Christians are persecuted because of their faith. Out of the 150 countries examined, Open Doors found 73 with a high, very high or extreme level of persecution. Five years ago, there was only talk of extreme persecution in North Korea, now 10 more countries added to the list. Once again, King John Un's country is the first on the list, it's not known how many Christians are imprisoned in their re-education camps. Just possessing a Bible can mean death or jail, not only for those who possess it, but even for three generations of the same family. In Afghanistan, abandoning Islam is seen as a betrayal and can be punished even with death. Christians are obliged to practice their faith in secret, even if a person is suspected of being in contact with someone of another religion, he or she can also be condemned to death. Somali is the third country in this list of intolerant countries. The church has practically disappeared in a country where chaos has reigned for decades. Socially, being Somali is identified with being Muslim, so the few Christians who remain in the country have to practice their faith in secret. The jihadist militia Al-Shaab kills anyone suspected of abandoning Islam. In a war-torn Libya, many converts from Islam are persecuted by their own family. It is impossible to identify as a Christian. Thousands of Subharans who cross the country to reach Europe fall victim to human trafficking networks. If they are Christians, their fate can become even more terrible as they are victims of horrendous torture and rape. The last of the five countries where Christians are treated the worst is Pakistan. There the anti-blasphemy law is a danger to Christians who may be condemned to death. One example is Asiyah Bibi, who was released after eight years of inhuman imprisonment. Christians are also regarded as second-class citizens and therefore despised. In countries such as Iraq, the situation has improved slightly for Christians after the disappearance of the Islamic State. Last year they were number 10 in the ranking, and this year they are number 13. However, there is concern about other countries such as Morocco returning to the list, since Open Door certifies that the situation for Christians has worsened.
0: Around the world, people are doing good for the kingdom of God and they're facing persecution all the time. We, here in America, are we willing to stand up? Are we always ready to be willing to suffer for doing good for the kingdom of God? In verse 14, it continues on there. It says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And this is a quote from Isaiah. Isaiah 8 verse 12 where it says, do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear, he is the one you are to dread, and in the context here in Isaiah 8, it describes how Ahaz, was, who was king of Judah, faced a crisis when the armies of Assyria were about to attack, and so you have Judah and Assyria, spelled A-S-S-Y-R-I-A, but then you also have two other countries, the kings of Israel and Syria, just S-Y-R-I-A, and Israel and Syria invited Ahaz to join them in an alliance so that they could oppose Assyria. But he stubbornly refused. He was nervous. He was scared. When he turned them down, Israel and Syria began to make plans to attack Judah in addition to Assyria. And now there are three powerful countries poised to pounce on Judah. And unbelievably, Ahaz decides to align himself with their enemy, the king of Assyria, because he's so afraid. He sends gold from the temple as tribute to Assyria, and the prophet Isaiah warned him against this ungodly partnership and urged him to trust God for deliverance. And ultimately, God is in control, and only he is able to save us. Someone wants to find fear in an acronym as false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And Peter quotes this passage from Isaiah to remind us that when we are faced with a crisis, we may be tempted to give in to our fears and make wrong decisions. But the bottom line is that the fear of the Lord conquers every other kind of fear, if our relationship with God is strong, we can handle opposition and even persecution. In fact, Peter says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. When Christ is Lord of our lives, we don't have to fear the opposition, the suffering, or the persecution of this life. We must always be ready to suffer for doing good, for living our faith. And the third thing that I see as we read down through these verses is that we always need to be ready to share the reason for the hope that we have. Verse 15 says that very thing, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, we are called to not only visualize Christianity by living it, but also verbalize our faith by expressing it in a way others can understand. You see, here's how it works. As we demonstrate our faith by living under the lordship of Christ, the good in our lives will come out, and our lives will be characterized by hope. And the non-Christians will see what we have and be curious about it. Some of them will even ask us about our faith. And when they do, we need to be ready. The word always means that we are to be ready at all times. To be on a constant state of alert. It's kind of like if you watch Star Trek and, you know, they go into a a rough situation where things, they don't know how it's going to work out and shields up, red alert, you know. We got to be ready. We have to be kind of on our toes, ready to share our faith. We have an attitude of anticipation of when someone might be ready to hear the good news of the gospel An ambitious young man asked an experienced salesman for the secret of his his success in selling. The salesman said, there's no great secret. You just have to jump at every opportunity that comes along. And the young man replied, but how can I tell when an opportunity is coming? The salesman responded, you can't. You have to keep jumping. We have to be ready. We're challenged to give an answer, and this in the Greek is the word apologia. And that doesn't mean that we're supposed to apologize for our faith, but instead it means a verbal defense. It was used in a courtroom when someone gave evidence or testimony in a case. We must be prepared to give a logical step-by-step explanation for what we believe. We are all charged with the responsibility of giving a reason for our faith. We are the witnesses and the spirit is the prosecution. We need to be witnesses to the faith and hope we have in Christ. The greatest and easiest defense we can give is our own testimony While you may argue points of theology, you cannot argue with a person's transformed life. When you're willing to share your story with someone, it's the greatest tool in witnessing for Jesus. One of the greatest things that we can offer spiritual seekers is hope, because there is so little of it in the world today. Hopelessness is everywhere. When people see us living with hope, they want to know how to get it for themselves. We're to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. And the word asks, ask means to crave or to desire. People want answers. They're craving it. They know that they don't have any hope and they want it. And as you continue on in verse 15 there, it says, but do this with gentleness and respect. When we demonstrate the leadership of Christ in our lives, people will be curious and will want some answers. When we ask, when they ask, we need to be ready to defend our faith. And as we see in this last part of verse 15, it tells us how to do that with gentleness and respect. We're not called to win arguments, but we make disciples. While we should be ready to defend what we believe, we should avoid being abrasive. I remember growing up, when my siblings and I would argue, it, you have a tendency to kind of want to get in someone's face, you know. You, have a, you lean forward and your neck goes forward and your head goes forward. And, and a lot of times my dad would say, okay, yeah, you guys can argue, but you, can't, you have to argue like this. <laughs> so then we'd try to like, talk to each other, and, we, and pretty soon we'd looking at each other, and we just start laughing, and the whole whole argument would be diffused just by our posture, And I think back how silly that was and and pulling our head back, but when we're trying to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have, I really think that we need to, in our minds, kind of pull our heads back and, and share the reason for our hope with gentleness and respect. We're to be gentle, which is translated meekness in some versions It's an inner attitude that affects the way we interact with others. Gentleness means strength under control. And in 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Paul was appealing to the church in Corinth with meekness and gentleness. And the word respect is the same word as, as the word fear, the Greek phobos, P-H-O-B-U-S. And that doesn't mean that we're afraid of people or afraid to, to share our faith, but what it means is we are to have a sense of a holy awe every time we have the opportunity to share our faith with another person. It's a holy moment when eternity hangs in the balance. When our attitude is gracious and gentle, verse 16 helps us see that those who oppose Christianity will be disarmed. As it says, those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When we are always ready to do good and to suffer for doing good, then the world begins to see a difference in our lives. When we are always ready to defend the reason for the hope that we have, and as we disarm people by our attitude of gentleness and respect, that's when God really begins to use us to clear the way for people to see the central message of the cross of Christ. And so in closing, my question for each and every one of us today is, are we ready? Are we ready? And this morning as we praise team comes and we sing a song of invitation, a a song of commitment, I just want to encourage you, if you just need to come forward for prayer because you're struggling just to do good, we want to pray for you. If you're someone that doesn't know what to give as an answer because you've never really surrendered your life over to Christ, then as we sing a song of invitation, would you please come and not wait another day that we would have the opportunity to share in your surrender to Jesus Christ, to die to your old self, and then live in newness. And maybe you just need to get plugged in with this body to, to work alongside this body If you need to come and and place membership to to be connected with this church body, we'd, we'd ask you to come as we sing. Will you stand with us?